Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, July 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law just days before we get started with the 2023 MLB Draft. We'll talk about the latest changes on Keith's final mock, right? It's the final mock that went up on Friday, right, Keith? It should be the final mock. I mean, I will make adjustments as needed, but right now it's the final full rewrite of the whole thing. And it might just be, Oh, I hear this team is on this particular player. And so we put a note in, we'll also have a draft live blog running from at some point on Sunday afternoon. Then I'll do pick by pick analyses. So it remains to be seen how we'll get that info out there. It's funny last year, there was nothing. I think the mock actually last mock ran on Saturday and then nothing new came out until about an hour before the draft happened, by which point it was like kind of too late to really update that. This time around, it feels like there could be a little more movement, and it sounds like there's sort of like a, a big five in this draft class, and who the Pirates will actually take at number one is a little bit of an unknown, but at this point, does it seem like they may try to save a little bit of their pool, go a little cheaper at the first overall pick, and then go over slot later on? Yes, that is the wide belief Essentially, if you're saying, do they take Dylan Cruz, who's number one on most boards? Not everyone's MLB pipeline, Jonathan, Jim, they have Paul Skeens at one. Totally defensible. I think Cruz is the closest thing we have to a consensus one. And if you were saying, do do the Pirates do Dylan Cruz and pay him slot or possibly over? There's a story out there that he's looking for an eight-figure bonus, which would be over slot at one. Um, Or the field. Basically, do they take literally anybody else? Then I would bet on the field. I would absolutely bet on that they go for somebody else and shave. If you follow down that path, then where are they more likely to get a better deal? Especially if you sort of agree with my contention that there are five guys in this draft who could all be 1-1, and there's not an enormous difference between the best and the worst of that group, however you order them. But if you're Paul Skeens, you go to the Pirates and say, Nats are going to take me a two. Why would I take a haircut here? So if you're the Pirates, uh, you want to go to one of the other players. Um, And the player I have them taking in this mock is Wyatt Lankford, who I think would take some discount. Again, it's not going to be devastating. I think he's going to be fine, but it will allow the Pirates potentially to go out and go over slot maybe with all three of their next picks, second round, comp B between the second and third rounds, and then the third round like they did in 2021. Yeah, and that's a, a common tactic we've seen in this era of drafts. It makes sense. You're increasing the overall quality of talent you're bringing to the organization. We've seen the Astros, the Orioles, many other organizations have success leveraging positions this way. So the latest mock, potentially the final mock. Yeah, let's call it that. Just go with that. By the next time we talk, there's not going to be a new mock. So, right. Or it'll be over. I'll be in yeah. a different state by then. That's true. Same state I used to live in, but back there again. Uh, so you got Langford at one, 
Skeen's going to the mm-hmm. Nationals at two. Dylan Cruz going to the Tigers yep. at three. And then Max Clark going to the Rangers at four with Jacob Gonzalez going to the Twins at five. I mean, is that sort of a consensus? Like Jacob Gonzalez would be most teams choice at five or is that the Twins doing something a little bit unique to how they view the player pool? So interesting that you should ask that. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think most teams would take him given one, two, three, four who's left on the board at that point. Gonzalez would not be the the next guy up for most teams. The Twins are a, are a draft model team, right? Who the model spits out or the model favors based on all the inputs, all the data, performance data, advanced data like that, ball metrics, and scouting reports. Those go into the model. And age, age always weighs pretty heavily in a model. Um, Gonzalez is, I, I was told he's third on their board. I believe it's Cruz. It's either Cruz Skeens in him or Cruz Langford in him. Um, it doesn't matter, right? I, either way, those guys are gone. And that Gonzalez is third. He is not third on my board or particularly close to it. I know of one other team that said Gonzalez is really stuffed in, like, does the scout saying he's really high in our model, but the scouts don't like him. It's more some something analytical. Um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is in Gonzalez's data either that's favoring him so much, but something clearly is. But I think that is a case of the Twins. If they do do this, and, and a lot of people have told me that that's their guy, it would be a case of them kind of overruling the scouts and going with who the model picks, which I think in this case is a very risk-averse selection. It's giving up quite a bit of ceiling to maybe uh, get a slight improvement in your probability of getting a big leaguer. Right. So if the top four breaks the way you have it in the mock, any other team, most other teams in that spot would probably take Jenkins. That's at least who you've got fifth on your overall rankings list. Yes, Walker Jenkins, who everyone wants to go forth so that he'd be Walker, Texas Ranger, of course, <laughs> um, and who is very frequently compared to Larry Walker. Now, readers of mine know I don't do a lot of player comparisons. This isn't really my player comparison, but multiple scouts have brought that up to me. This is baby Larry Walker, and that's pretty good. And I know at least one person who thinks Walker Jenkins is the best prospect in the whole draft class. There's an expectation that if you're talking about pick five, six, seven, though, Jenkins isn't going to come cheap. He would probably be looking for an overslot bonus. He is, like I said, in a lot of draft classes, he'd be the number one overall prospect. Uh, he is um, He's committed to North Carolina, which is obviously a great program and a very selective school academically and has produced a lot of first rounders and he could go there and mash in the ACC and come out three years from now. And then he probably would be the first overall pick if it all lines up that way, or certainly in contention for it yet again, it's, it's a little bit of his misfortune maybe to come out in this particular year, but I still have him going in the top 10 picks with the sort of expectation that if that happens, he's going to take home an overslot bonus. Very interesting board, though, as it is coming together so far. I, I think the broader question I had for you is, you know, as these teams are manipulating their own pool and kind of going about this in their own way, is there any particular player that you really like that you could see sliding maybe to the middle part of the first round? I'm thinking of Cam Collier this time last year or, or yeah. Corbin Carroll back in, in 2019. You know, guys that were very high on your board that ended up being Mm-hmm. great values where they ended up actually going. Who do you see possibly falling as a result of the machinations of, of this year's board? So I have Matt Shaw seventh on my personal board, my big board, and he 
I don't believe is going any higher than 10th. And I think there's a pretty good chance he goes somewhere in that 11 to 16 range. I think 16 might be a floor. Giants are Giants pick 16th and they're sort of a floor for several players, which isn't really possible. You can only take one, but it is also a situation where I think they would be extremely pleased if more than one of those players actually got to their pick. Any one of those guys gets there. They're just sort of, I was joked, sitting there with open arms, right? Whoever wants to fall to us, we'll catch you. Uh, I don't think Shaw goes higher than 10th. And like I said, if he goes somewhere, say 13 to 16, I think that's great value. It's a really advanced college bat. He's got great batted ball metrics. Um, A guy where he's a shortstop at University of Maryland, he's going to have to move to second base. So what? I think he'll be fine at second base. His biggest issue at shortstop was his arm, not not his hands, for example. And of all the hitters in this draft class beyond the Cruz Langford uh, pair of all the college hitters, Shaw, I think, is the one where you have the least to do. You send this guy out with his current swing, with his idea of the strike zone, with his pitch recognition, and just sort of wind him up and let him go. And I think he'll hit at least to start out his pro career. It'll be a while before you have to start tinkering or making adjustments. And there's a lot of value in that. It gets him to the big league sooner, and it gives you early results, which it does matter. There's something to be said a year out to be able to point to your minor leagues and say, look what our guy's doing. It it absolutely helps. Helps you keep your job. It helps you sell something to the fans and to the media too, that we're headed in the right direction. Look at what our draft pick from last year is doing. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Zach Neto going 13th overall in the draft last summer and being up mm-hmm. in less than a year. Are, are there any players that could follow that? I mean, are there any potential fast movers on that much of a track as an organizational specific decision to be that aggressive but are we seeing teams more willing to take college players and and maybe get them up within a calendar year of when they were drafted yes i i mean look skeens is going to get there fast if he's healthy he's there in a year he's on the especially if the nats take him right he'll be on the strasburg plan strasburg was drafted in june of 09 and if i remember correctly he debuted almost a year to the day later. I believe I arrived home from being in Bristol for the draft to see Strasburg's major league debut on television. And now obviously the draft is a month later. So, you know, maybe schemes arrives a month later. I I don't think it matters that much, but what happened that summer, Strasburg, I believe didn't make a start the rest of the summer, did pitch in the fall league, went right to double A to start the next season to put him in line to get to the big leagues within 12 months. If Skeens is pick, if Skeens does go second to the Nats, and this could apply with other teams too, but just knowing the Nats, it's the same. Mike Rizzo was in charge then, he's in charge now. And I would very much expect him to do the same thing. Skeens makes a couple starts in Fall League, which I'd be thrilled. I go to Fall League every year. And then starts next year, Double A Harrisburg. Although selfishly, I live in Wilmington. You want to give him two starts in Wilmington, Mike? I'd be thrilled. More than happy. He can stay at my house. We have an extra room. <laughs> and then he's in the big leagues by... By midseason, by certainly by July 1st, he's the easiest name to point to and say he gets there super fast. But I don't think Cruz is going to take very long. I don't think Shaw is going to take very long. Langford, there's some small adjustments you want to make. It's nothing bad, but he could just require a little bit of extra time. And maybe he doesn't. Maybe he bashes his way all the way to the big leagues. And I love, I am a Langford guy. He's second on my board. But I also recognize lots of these guys have little, little things. Little things in the swing, a little bit of a hole, little approach question that they're just going to have to adjust to, make adjustments in pro ball, especially going to the wood bat. 
that might slow some of them down. Whereas with Skeens, he is going to carve up a ball or, or I think even double A hitters. You know, it's sitting 100 with really good deception. Not a ton of life, but it's hard to see the ball. And he's got a really good slider. So if you're a hitter, especially if you're a right-handed hitter, and you're just trying to figure out which one it is, and you have no time to react to it, that's going to get you by pretty quickly and get you to the majors. I want to ask you about Chase Dollander out of Tennessee also. like How far could he fall? I mean, in the, the mock write-up, he's a top five talent on this board at one mm-hmm. point in time. Is it possible he could slide all the way to the mid to late teens? Coming out of last spring, he was a sophomore at the University of Tennessee, it was a 70 slider and a 70 control. Definitely plus command, but he threw a ton of strikes was three pitches, but it was really the slider. And some genius got him to change the grip on his slider, and he's just not been the same guy all year. And he's not throwing as many strikes. And the now people are saying the fastball doesn't have great shape to it. So hitters are able, even though it's got velocity, hitters are able to get to it because they're not trying to gear up for a much better secondary pitch in the slider. And his slider was just ineffective this year. You can take that two ways. One is, this is what he is going forward. And we got to draft a guy, especially a college guy, based much more on what he is today than what we think he'll be. The flip side is, this guy could have been a top five pick. Now we pick 12th, 15th. If we take that guy and say, just go back to your old slider, do we have a top five pick already? It's hard to argue with that logic. As far as we know, he's not hurt. I've never heard a single person say, by now, most teams should have medicals for these players. Nothing's come out. So... I look at Dollander as as a it's high risk but very high reward. If you're willing to do that, you might get the best or second best college pitcher in the whole draft class because he really was. I didn't do a ranking coming out of last season. I know Pipeline did, and he was their top college pitcher, and I think he was third on the whole list ahead of Skeens because Skeens wasn't who he is now. We didn't know, but Dollander was that good, and it is very much worth keeping that in mind as we wait to hear his name called probably somewhere between about maybe pick seven with Cincinnati and certainly no worse. I think than 15 with the white Sox. Although I, I don't really think he gets that far. That seems like the furthest he would fall based on stuff that I've been looking at so far. And that's, that's good value. You'd have to be excited about that because the floor seems oh, like yeah. elite reliever just because the stuff's that good. And you could yep. end up with something a lot better than that if he does get that slider back, like you mentioned. Eric Longenhagen, who we're both friends with over at Fangraphs, he noted to Dollander, he had, I believe, Dollander to the White Sox in his mock and said, that's a team that just doesn't really care about fastball shape, so it's kind of a perfect fit. Again, I don't think he gets that far, but Eric's also right. And if you ever want to talk about a team that can fix your slider, it's it's definitely the White Sox. So um, any big risers? Yeah, there have been a few Look, a lot of stuff is happening late, and this is every year. You know, the first three mocks I do every year, I work. I I promise it's my best effort. There's a lot of smoke and not a lot of fire with those. Now there's some fire, right? Colin Houck is going to go a little bit lower than people thought a couple of weeks ago. Arjun Nimmel is going to go lower. Colt Emerson, infielder from Ohio, where people really like the bat, and I think he doesn't turn 18 till a month after the draft. He seems to be flying up. People are very high on him all of a sudden. Not all of a sudden, but he's gone up quite a bit lately. Chase Davis at the University of Arizona. I had a reader asking me all year, why don't you have him in the first round? Why don't you have him in the first round? I, I said, look, I really like Chase Davis, but if I don't hear him going in the first round, I'm not going to say he's going in the first round. Guess what? Last two weeks, starting to hear him going in the first round. 
probably more in the 20s, but still, that's a great outcome for a guy who struck out way too much as a sophomore, made real changes to his approach this year, which I credit him for. He's probably going to get into the very back of the first rounder, at worst, the early comp picks. So he's another guy who's, to his credit, he's he's really done something, as opposed to Emerson, where it's just, we scouted him more, everyone lines the boards up, hey, we like this guy more than we thought. Give Chase Davis credit. He went out, changed something about his game to go from no better than the second round, and even then it's kind of dicey, to worthy of a discussion for a late first round pick. All right. A lot still to come, of course, between now and the start of the draft on Sunday. So be sure to pick up a subscription to The Athletic. If you don't have one already, theathletic.com slash baseball show gets in the door for just $2 a month. Changes to the mock if they are necessary will be there. And you said the live blog on Sunday, too. That'll be a good time for anybody who wants to follow this as it is happening. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I thought we should take a trip back to 2019 today because Corbin Carroll, as I mentioned earlier, was a huge hit from that draft class, going 16th overall to the Diamondbacks. He was fourth on your big board. I did some homework. You had him way up at four. What was the concern with Carroll back then? Like, put us in the time machine. Let's go back four years ago to a slightly better time. I mean, Twitter worked better back then, so I guess that was one positive of 2019. But what were the reservations around Corbin Carroll in that draft class? Honestly, it was his height. That was really the only thing I will never forget. I know the scout. I had this conversation with him at NHSI down at the USA Baseball Complex, and he had just seen Carroll, and he described him, and he was in such glowing terms. I said, if this guy's six foot two, is he the first overall pick? And he said, yeah, actually, because he, he could hit, he had power. He seemed to have a pretty good idea of the strike zone. I don't think we had, we knew quite, just quite how advanced it was. He could really run and he looked like he was going to stay in center field. But the main knock was he's like five nine. Uh, also, he played his his high school. He went to a private high school in Seattle and played a horrendous competition. That doesn't help. But people had seen him plenty the summer, fall before, and you could scout the tools and you could see the athlete. And for folks who met the kid, they universally raved about his makeup, his work ethic, his not just his understanding of the game, but desire to get better at understanding the game too, which I think has really helped him, especially because he missed that whole year, his first full pro season with a fluke shoulder injury and essentially worked and learned his way up to the big leagues in fairly short order. And I think it's really worth remembering there's short guys in every draft class. And it is just worth keeping in mind. There are plenty of short guys who still are strong enough, whether it's biceps or wrist and forearm to be able to impact the baseball to hit enough and maybe even get to power. Alex Bregman's not much taller than I am. And the guy's got 30 Homer seasons on his resume. And if he can, 
just about anyone that height can get to enough power to be a big leaguer. Yeah, it's it's funny how that's still even in this era a thing that teams are are worried about. Is that more of a a cover your butt sort of thing? Oh, we took a guy who was five ten with the third overall pick or the fourth overall pick and it, it didn't work out. So now, now we're worried we're going to lose our jobs. Like what, what is, what's still holding people back on this with so much more information and so much more you could lean on to analyze a player than basic physical measurements from the back of a baseball card. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just an out bit of an outdated preference you know, I, I live with the scouts, basically. I work with scouts. I talk to them. I, I, I sit with them constantly. This is not a knock on scouting, but there are old scouting axioms, some of which have some merit, but there are some that just kind of need to die off. And I think that's one. It was probably true for a period of time where you didn't have a lot of guys who were 6'7", 6'8", where too tall wasn't really a thing. So where there was a point where the guy was 6'2 versus 5'10", the 6'2 guy was probably stronger, probably going to do more damage at the plate. Like I could understand some of that. And you know, I think we're just drawn to the taller players too. They stand out a whole lot more. Um, I have plenty of memories of going to games at all levels and your eyes are just drawn to the tallest guy on the field too. And so if you pull up to some random high school to see one player and the team rolls out and your guy isn't the tallest one on the team, it's a little odd. You're thinking it might they make a wrong turn here. Is this the, the if, if I got the right roster? So I get that. But I just think we've seen way too many examples of shorter guys on both sides of the ball finding ways to get it done. I understand the probability might be a little bit lower, but nowhere near enough to overlook, pun quite intended, someone of Corbin Carroll's tremendous athletic talent. Now, the 2019 draft, of course, is the one in which Adley Rutschman was the first overall pick of the Orioles, but they hit pretty big with Gunnar Henderson at 42nd yeah. overall, too. That's one of the other big surprises, sort of looking back at where players from that class were actually taken. Of course, if that draft were being redone today, Gunnar Henderson's a top five pick, probably, if we're doing it again. Yeah, I don't remember where I had him on my board might not have had him as a first rounder, but I knew people who did. There was a lot of talk about him getting into the first round. I think the Yankees were one of the teams that had been linked to him. And then the Orioles played a little bit of the money game, which is like what we're talking about with Pittsburgh, right? Where they made sure that they had enough to go over slot and get Henderson in the, I think he was just their straight up second round pick. I don't have that in front of me, but I think that's correct. And he was, I mean, that is a heck of a one-two punch, right? Rutschman. And then Gunnar Henderson, if they got nothing else from the draft class, if they had just said, we're done and just <laughs> left Baltimore and gone to the Bahamas, that, that would have been fine. That is that is a hell of a day's work for the, for the uh, front office there. Yeah, they got Kyle Stowers and Joey Ortiz in that draft as well. Ortiz was a yep. fourth rounder for them in that class. Yep. Uh, other big values from that draft, Michael Harris went 98th overall to Atlanta. How much of that was just... Atlanta being where Michael Harris was in high school. How much of that is just proximity? I think it's a combination of my guess. I haven't spoken to anyone in Atlanta specifically about the process with Harris, but my guess is they probably saw him a lot more. I mean, the the philosophy of that organization going back 40 years, I think, is do not get beat in your backyard, right? If someone, you're not going to get every player out of Georgia, but you better have them right. You have no excuse not to see those guys. Georgia is one of the strongest places for high school baseball talent in the whole country. And it's not that big. 
certainly when you, especially if you look at where the majority of the players come from, it's like a giant circle around Atlanta. So you got to see those guys and you got to evaluate them correctly. And I know certainly when Roy Clark was there, that was a big thing. You know, we cannot get beat on the guys in our own backyard. And so I think there's quite a bit of that. They, they do still scout the state of Georgia extremely heavily. Also, they did a really great job on the player development side. I mean, Harris came on very quickly, has made quite a few adjustments. We've talked about he's still got clearly got work to do at the plate, but that he even got to the big leagues this quickly as a high school product missing 2020 because of COVID and has done what he's been able to do. Some of that is credit to the kid, and some of that is to player development. They have they have really done an excellent job with him. Yeah, and since we last spoke about him a few weeks ago, he's cut his strikeout rate down. Year two, strikeout rate under 20% now, so still improving yeah. as you'd expect for a player this young. Uh, and really, I think, is finally starting to see some better results. For a little while, Michael Harris looked like one of the more unlucky hitters in the entire league, just hitting the ball hard and hitting it right at defenders hunter brown went at 166 in that draft class david hamilton who just got promoted by the red sox recently went at 253 vinnie pasquantino was an 11th rounder in that class another player that went to atlanta von grissom also was an 11th rounder hopefully vinnie pasquantino makes it back from that shoulder injury that's sort of the the big question for him right now but that looks like a massive hit for the royals the misses in this one jj blade at fourth overall i mean why hasn't it worked out for him so far? Like, wh- how how surprised are you that it's turned out this poorly for Blade to this point? Giant hitch mm. in the swing. It was always the knock on him. I saw him a bunch. It was like it might work. He does get the bat to the zone on time, and then he started hitting with wood, and it just it hasn't really looked the same. I, I think that's the biggest problem, and I think there's going to be there is a lot of work. That has to be done to, to turn that around. And, right, and I hate to say it, it's only four years after he was drafted. They're kind of running short of time, right? When he's, what is he, 25, pushing 26? Guys do, they come around, but it's a swing overhaul now. It's not a small adjustment at this point. Okay, fine. He goes to the Dodgers and next year it's 28 homers. I, I, yes, some teams do that. And maybe he's a candidate for something like that. But the way it is now, just flat out not working. And, you know, and then I go back to, did we know? Could we have foreseen this? And yeah, we kind of could have. Plenty of people were were picking on the the hitch in that swing and questioning, was that going to work with Wood? There are some guys who do it. Hunter Pence, probably the best example, but they're exceptions, not rules. When you've got that, it just makes it that much harder to get the bat to the zone consistently on time when you're trying to hit big league pitching. Yeah, it creates holes in the worst possible way, right? Premium velocity, yes. easy to find in the game today, so can't have mm-hmm. issues like that hunter bishop i know injuries have been part of the story for him at 10 that looks like a pretty big miss for the giants in this draft class any thoughts on, on why it hasn't worked for bishop he was that was always high high risk high reward right it was very much power over hit and it was corner outfield profiles it's like he really got a hit and he just he, he hasn't and he's been hurt so much he really hasn't had much of a chance to improve i just think the contact rate was always going to be on the borderline. And when you miss that much time, like you just, nobody got better by not playing. So he really needs to, you know, he just, he's had no luck. You know, he needs a thousand plate appearances in the minors. I'm just pulling a number out of the air to really try to develop just any sort of approach that lets him get to the power. And that's assuming that the power is even still there after all the injury trouble he's had. I didn't mind the pick at the time, 
but I recognized there was definitely a huge, um, a very large probability that it just wouldn't work out. They were betting on the small probability of huge upside. The twins took Keone Kivako at 13th overall in that draft. Now you're getting closer to where Corbin Carroll went. You're talking about another high school player. And if you're a Twins fan, you're saying, why couldn't we have just taken Corbin Carroll in that Mm -hmm. spot? Unfortunately for Kivako, a 42% K rate this year at high A. He's he's 22 now. I mean, I I hate to ever say this about any player, but I don't think he's going to make it to the big leagues. I think it's the writing looks like it's sort of on the wall. This was just a, a big miss unfortunately. And you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I'm curious what you thought about Kavako back in, in 2019. I think I had him in the second round. Was very I, I had heard a little bit that he might get into the back of the first. I think when his name was called at 13, I think I was kind of surprised. I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't have anything on them going that direction. Um, yeah, there was, there was enough question about field to hit, and he was not a shortstop. He was absolutely going to have to go to third base. I know a couple of scouts who did like him, who liked the pick, and just you know, bemoan that it hasn't worked out. But I think that there was an industry consensus at that point that was probably a reach because he just wasn't an advanced enough hitter. And you're right. He honestly, on merit, I'm not sure he gets to double A, which is which is a pretty shocking miss. It's one thing when a guy doesn't make it. It happens from time to time. But Cavaco is he has simply never hit at any level of the minors. 13th overall, that's pretty tough. Then there was Will Wilson at 15th overall, selected by the Angels, eventually traded to the Giants. The Giants took on Zach Cozart's contract basically to get Wilson into the organization. He is playing at AAA right now, so I think you can pretty reasonably look at him and say, he'll probably play in the big league someday, but he might not be a long-term big leaguer, might not be a regular, probably more of an up-and-down guy or a bench guy if he does end up sticking. There was a bit too much swing and miss with him at NC State, but... He had power, and that was the hope, was that it's some field to hit. So it was probably never going to be high average because there was a little too much swing and miss. It was not out of control, certainly. It was just more than you were looking for. But the hope was you'd get decent batting average and quite a bit of power for a middle infielder. Mm-hmm. And he's the power has never really been there, and he has struck out just way too much in Pro Bowl. And unfortunately, I mean, it's a 310 on base this year with – striking out about a quarter of the time in the PCL with the benefit of the automated strike zone. That's just, he probably gets a cup of coffee somewhere, which I always root for those guys, right? It's just better to have, even if it's negative war versus blank Mm -hmm. on the baseball reference draft page, but still it is. uh, Yeah. That one looks pretty unlikely. A lot of players we didn't talk about in between those points. Bobby Witt Jr. went two in that draft. Andrew Vaughn went third. Riley Green went fifth. C.J. Abrams went sixth. I think Abrams is kind of interesting, Keith, because he lost the season, like a lot of players, to the pandemic. Didn't get to play in 2020. Has had injuries during his time in the minors. Of course, traded from the Padres to the Nationals as part of the Juan Soto trade. Still very young. Still could get a lot stronger physically. What do you see for Abrams long term? Has the ceiling really changed at all since he was drafted? Or is this just a guy that's gone through a pretty unusual development path so far? And Nationals fans should be both patient and optimistic that they do, in fact, have a a long term shortstop here. I still want to believe because not only is he not that old, I mean, he's 22. Um, You know, we're talking about the college guys who say they're running out of time with the high school guys. You know, if there's if there are glimmers of hope, there are things to point to. You want to hang on to that hope, and certainly, like his he has made somewhat harder contact this year. His hard hit rate is up. His launch angle is much improved. Average launch angle is much improved. His max exit velocity is actually up almost three miles an hour. His average exit velocity hasn't really changed. 
it is exactly what you said. He has to get stronger because he is in the, the magical zone. Xavier Edwards is another guy like that. Edwards, a guy I've, I like quite a bit about him. But if you aren't strong enough to do some damage, even if it's just extra bases, pitchers are just going to throw you strikes with impunity. Just, what are you going to do? Slap me to death? Like, it's just not a thing. Uh, they're just not afraid of you anymore. And not that pitchers only throw put pitches out of strikes and when they're afraid, but they're, they have to change their whole approach. And because I don't think Abrams is just a hacker, right? He doesn't walk. He's really not walked at all now, parts of two years in the big leagues. I don't think that's actually what he is as a player, but I think he's he's really not getting a lot of opportunities to show any kind of patience because they're attacking him in the zone because he can't do enough damage. He's had little moments this year, though. He's up to seven home runs. That's actually pretty great. He's going to probably end up with double-digit home runs this year. I take that as a good sign. I think of him as he's going to be on my breakouts list maybe next year, maybe the year after. He said he showed up this year weighing seven pounds more, which I kind of laughed, right? Because everyone else is like, put on 20 pounds, best shape of their life, et cetera. And CJ, like, I feel seen, brother. I am with you. I am I am a smaller boned guy, right? If I put on seven pounds of muscle, I would look like a different person. Also, I'm 50. I'm not putting on seven pounds of muscle. It's just not happening. But like, I get it. And it was funny because it's like, oh, that's real. That's actually entirely realistic. You know what? Put on seven pounds last winter, put on another seven pounds of muscle this winter. Maybe he does it one more time. And then we get the CJ Abrams that everyone was hoping for. Because I think he's really skilled. Hell of a runner. I really think he can play a good major league shortstop, although he's not been good defensively at all. And that might be a whole separate topic. Maybe he does have to move off the position. But the bottom line for him is get stronger and the whole offensive stat line is going to improve. If that doesn't happen, it's kind of like nothing else matters. The hit tool always got good grades on it. Very good grades in some cases. The strikeout rate hasn't been a problem so far, even with all that lost development time. So I think there's still more reasons to be optimistic than pessimistic about Abrams uh, as you sort of look at what his future mm-hmm. might look like. Now, this was also the Anthony Volpe draft class. Mm-hmm. 30th overall pick in this draft. I like that the Yankees have stayed patient with him this year, Keith, because there were plenty of folks calling for a demotion. And even if they had done that, it was probably only going to be two, three, four weeks at most before he would have been back in New York anyway. If you look at the last 30 days or so, it's starting to click. You see power, you see speed, you see a slightly lower K rate. Is that something going on about chicken parm? I don't know. Are we at the <laughs> point where Volpe has made enough adjustments to where you think he's heading in the right direction for the second half? Or is this still a young player who has a few holes in his swing that could be exploited you know, throughout the rest of this rookie season? I'm an optimist, you know, and I think I look back to his year last year where he had also made some swing changes going into the season. They were really not working out for him. And around this point, maybe a little bit earlier in the calendar, he sort of said, screw it. I'm going back to my old swing. I have different stories on whether that came from the Yankees or came from somewhere else. But Volpe decided I'm going to go back to the way I'm comfortable swinging. And he raked the whole second half, put, got himself bumped up to AAA, started hitting the ball with a lot more authority. I'm hopeful that that's what we're seeing here. Not so much that that it is a swing change, but that it's an adjustment, right? They 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 rushed him. He barely spent any time in AAA. And so he had a, a pretty long adjustment period with a lot more swing and miss than you wanted to see. And the last couple of weeks, it's been better. It could be small sample size. could be just he's faced more favorable pitching too. But I believe very strongly in both the underlying skill set and in the person. And I think he's 
he is very capable of making midstream adjustments. And I'm going to bet that that's what we're seeing here and that you're going to see a much better second half from him. And then he's there every day shortstop for a long time to come. And I, I've said this many, many times. I did not like the pick. I saw Volpe in high school. It's like that is There's not tools there. There's not upside. Guy goes out for the during the pandemic, gets, gets himself stronger, gets himself faster, and even made himself a better defensive shortstop. And by the time I got to my first look at him as a professional, more than halfway through 2021, it's like, oops, yeah, that guy's a billion times better than I thought he was. I'm, I will wear that. That is, I was totally wrong. I underestimated the kid. And I also want to make sure to give him credit because he made himself a much better player. Look at what he's done through a half season. Throw the smaller sample size out. 12 homers, 16 steals, K rate just under 30%. You can live with that for a guy as young as Volpe is seeing big league pitching for the first time. Slash line is 223, 295, 402. So it's a little bit below a league average slash line right now. It's a 93 WRC plus. I think the problem is he's a shortstop for the Yankees. They get graded on a different curve. It's not necessarily yeah. fair, but that's just how it's just how Yankee shortstops are graded. So a lot to like for the second half. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Take a look at this current rookie class, since there are a lot of members from that 2019 draft class kind of sprinkled in there. Corbin Carroll, not surprisingly, running away with the war leaderboard. He's among the league leaders among all players, so that's not a surprise. I think Matt McLean is having more initial success than I expected. I thought he'd go through some growing pains. He still could. It's only been 46 games, but there's power, there's speed. He's also got the K rate under 30%. It's kind of a good marker for me as far as somebody just holding their own in the big leagues. And I think he's also benefiting maybe from the attention being so heavily focused on Ellie De La Cruz. Not that it shouldn't be, <laughs> but that takes a lot of pressure off compared to the Volpe situation. Matt McLean can sort of just be a guy in Cincinnati. Yeah. Nobody talks about Matt McLean, right? No one the really most does. anonymous, really good rookie on a contending first place team, actually, right? First place as of this recording. Yep. 
yeah, talk about a guy who, I don't know if you got to see him at any point last year, but I saw him in fall leagues. I liked him quite a bit in college. Was not in high school. He was first round draft pick, declined to sign, goes to UCLA, saw him in college and bought it. It was like, oh, actually, this is, this is pretty good. He can hit. I don't think there's power, power, but I think he's going to hit the ball hard enough, at least. Probably moves to second base. And then I got him in fall league last year. Not They sent him... They were aggressive. And this is a cautionary tale for all these draft guys we're talking about. Hey, he can go right to double A to start next year. Well, they did that with McLean coming out of UCLA. Great program. Pac-12, generally great competition. They sent him to double A and he scuffled. And he kind of never found his footing. By the time I saw him in fall league, not only was he not hitting very well, he looked small. Mm-hmm. It was like someone had put him in the enshrinkerator and it was like, what the heck did you do with Matt McLean? Showed up this spring. He looked stronger. And then it started to show up in the numbers too. He was he was hitting for a little more power, making better quality contact. That's carried over to the big leagues. So good job by the red scouting department has done a really nice job the last couple of years. Um, and especially a couple of times now they have done what they do with McLean. He was a top 10 talent certainly in my opinion and they just they were picking like 16th or something and just hey you want to fall to us great we'll sit here and catch you there's just sometimes the draft hands you a player you didn't think you had any chance to get i think that was the case with mclean they were ready pulled the trigger and now they're now you're absolutely seeing that i feel very good about him being an above average regular going forward as well I want to ask you about Michael Garcia, who's also pretty high up on this rookie war leaderboard so far, getting an opportunity for the Royals. Hitting 296 with a 347 OBP, not a ton of power yet, just three homers in 54 games to 403 slug, but playing good defense too. And in a year where so many things have gone wrong for the Royals, this looks like a young player going right. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of power there, not without a swing change. He does hit the ball fairly hard, but it's on the ground a lot. And I don't know what the upside is if he's a third baseman even a good defensive third baseman where there's just not much power there, but he could also be some kind of super utility guy where he gets his 500 plate appearances, but bounces around a couple of positions um, because he does offer that versatility. That profile might play a little bit more. He was, I think he was fifth on my Royals list. I had him reasonably high, um, especially for a guy who's gotten zero attention in that system. They've had a lot of high draft picks who have not particularly worked out in general, or at least not yet. And he came, he was Venezuelan guy who I think didn't sign for a whole lot of money and just sort of was quiet, quiet, quiet. And last year had a bit of a big breakout year. Oh, this guy's producing very well at quite a young age. And you at least gave himself a chance, like I said, to be, you know, a utility infielder with the upside, maybe to be an everyday player. Yeah. Last season, we saw him really control the strike zone. Well, there's some speed too. So that's pretty exciting. Just a a nice all round player that, Maybe the power never shows up, but everything else looks pretty good so far from Michael Garcia. Patrick Bailey, I was looking at a catcher leaderboard, just war going back to last season. He's already popping on there because of his defense. We talked about him when the Giants promoted him a few weeks ago, but problem solved. The Giants have a starting catcher. It's working out for for them in a pretty big way right now. It's kind of crazy because he's like, this is, I think, much more the player they thought they were getting when they took him in the first round in the COVID year. But he wasn't that guy for two and a half years after that. He's been hurt. He had a back injury that was not nothing. So at least pretty significant. There's a question of, is he going to be able to hold up as a catcher going forward? Now, I, you know, not to sound too much of an alarm, but, you know, the guy's punching out at, what is it, about 28%-ish with a really low walk rate. That's probably not terribly sustainable going forward. 
Um, he's going to have to tighten up the strike zone. That was the thing with Casey Schmidt was good the first couple of weeks, but he was striking out way too often, chasing way too often in particular. And Schmidt has really come back down pretty hard. And and I, I don't know what you do if you send him back to triple A, but he probably shouldn't be playing every day for a team that's trying to get to the playoffs. I like Bailey a little bit more. I like him as a hitter a bit more. I think there is a, a little bit more innate discipline there, but you know, he's got a 391 BABIP right now, right? That's going to come back down, obviously. Yeah, Casey Schmidt. I mean, I think if you're a team like the Giants, you can probably get away with two glove-first players in the lineup on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. I feel like the third one is too much. Your offense suffers just a little too much. And up the middle, they've got youth between Bailey, Schmidt, and now Luis Matos. So if they were to send Schmidt yep. down for a bit, you know, once Tyro Estrada's healthy, I think they're more than capable of doing that and they'll they're much better off even though schmidt looks like at least a very good defender the weird thing for me with with schmidt keith is the -hmm. lack of power during his brief time in triple a i know sacramento is not like most of the other pcl parks where it plays pretty neutral even a little pitcher friendly so the fact that this guy hit one homer in 32 games (laughs) at triple a like raised some significant questions for me and i know back in 2022 17 homers and 93 games at high A made a lot of people think there was legitimate power there. He popped three more in double A, which also I think in that Giants organization is a pitcher-friendly environment. Where do you fall on the actual power output for him long-term? Is it in there and he's just making bad swing decisions? We're seeing a 48.5% O-swing percentage from Casey Schmidt. For me, it's hard to drive the ball when you're swinging at pitches outside the zone as often as he has so far. Yeah, I don't know. know. He never really hit for power in college which is not, you know, plenty of guys got the, the, who was it? Matt Duffy, who, the one who played for the Giants, I think it's zero home runs in college and ended up hitting for a little bit of power in his brief, you know, here and there, his brief big league time. So I'm not saying that that's entirely determinant, but uh, definitive going forward. But I don't think there's a lot of natural power in there. I think the hope was that it's enough doubles power. It is enough defense it's enough ability to work the strike zone enough of a lot of little things that maybe you get to a regular there was quite a bit of hype out of him around him coming out of last season that i have to admit i didn't quite buy into especially since i had scouts coming back to me and saying people are talking about this guy like he's scott Rowland on defense he's good but he has nothing like that it is not game changing defense at least and so i wonder if some of the the power surge that he had at the beginning of 2022 is just more a function of that's a really good, the Northwest league uh, is just a pretty good place to hit. And he was a, you know, an experienced guy for the level and took advantage. Good for him. He hit his way up to double a, but when you got to the higher levels, you saw the power start taper off. And that's probably a little bit more of what he is as a player. The really pleasant surprise of, from the giants uh, this year is Blake Sable. I mean, a rule five pick on pace to hit, how about that? 20 homers. The the barrel rate sort of backs up the power. There's some swing and miss right now, at least 32.4% K rate is a problem. But this is a guy that's struck out a bit less than that in the upper levels of the, it was the pirate system that they got him from. Uh, has walked a lot of places and is versatile. Can actually play the outfield a little bit too. So just a, a nice extra player to have on your roster. I don't know if he doubles up and actually gets the 20 home runs, but that is a lot more than you expect to get from a rule five pick. Yeah, it's, I think he's a he's a great bench player, a gr- really great bench player, you know, an unusual bench player, right? How often do you have a catcher outfielder as a bench player? Like, that's pretty good, you know, to his credit, too, to be able to 
haven't maintained that skill enough that he's able to take some time behind the plate and then play potentially on days when he's not starting in in place of Patrick Bailey. Um, yeah, it's going to be low OBP. It's going to be low batting average, but there's some pop and he can play one really valuable position and another position just to get him in the lineup as needed. So I, you know, it, I think it's a great pick when they did it. I was like, really that guy, I've seen a bit of him in the minors and I just didn't think there would be enough of anything. Also didn't think he was good enough as a catcher to really do it on more than an emergency basis. But he, I think he's good enough to be a backup. You know, if he's catching once a week, that's pretty good. Yeah, Easy to see, though, coming out of the Pirates organization, why they may have felt he was expendable, given the oh, number yes. of catchers they had at their disposal. They have a few. Yeah, yeah, quite a few options in Pittsburgh. Uh, two Astros rookies I want to talk about with you before we go. Yaner Diaz, who has a 50.6% O-swing percentage, didn't realize it was that high until just now, has also <laughs> popped 10 home runs so far with Joran Alvarez hurt. He's actually had a prominent spot in the middle third of that order and has been providing some cheap power for the Astros recently. Mm-hmm. Big time barrel rate. I mean, it's, it's just like this guy hits. The question will always be, is he a good enough catcher to be more than a part-time catcher? Or is he even a good enough hitter to be more of a first base DH type eventually? So what do you see from, from Diaz in the long run? I would like to see he was not this undisciplined as a hair. You're right. I mean, he is every, every metric we have. So this guy is just like see ball swing, right? That is just, that's not optimal code. He was never a big walk guy, but never a big strikeout guy either. Um, anywhere he was in the minors. I, I would like to see, hopefully he gets enough of a chance to play more. Like maybe he ends up a first base DH option who can catch occasionally, right? I don't think he's an everyday catcher. But you know, going back to the Sable thing, could he catch enough to you know, give him that versatility? Or, or can, can he do that? enough to keep him on the roster while he continues to develop as a hitter and maybe at some point gets himself up to um, an OBP level that allows him to play regularly somewhere else. Because obviously the Astros have gotten basically nothing out of first base so far this year. They spent on it. Um, They haven't gotten any kind of production there. And it's quite possible in the next year or so, they'll be looking for something more at that position. Um, And so, and they're not really getting anything out from behind the plate either. (laughs) So there's plenty of opportunities for him. Maybe he just kind of moves back and forth between the two, pick his spots um, or just resting to much older, the two oldest guys on the roster, I think. Um, And it allows him to continue to get at bats, but yes, obviously he's going to have to cut down on the chase dramatically. It's just surprising because I don't think I'm not looking at his minor league data right now, but I don't think that's who he was as a prospect. I mean, my issues with him as a prospect were maybe not really enough bat to be an above average regular at first, not enough glove to be even a regular behind the plate, but maybe he can do a little bit of everything of all those things enough to make himself an everyday player in, in some kind of hybrid role. Yeah. I mean, it's making it work so far. I just, I can't remember seeing an O swing percentage that high with a strikeout rate that low. That's actually it speaks to his ability to hit pitches outside the zone, maybe a bit more than he should. If you'd asked me, I would have said, Kind of a bad ball hitter. Mm-hmm. I've seen him once or twice. I think I saw him two games last year. Um, I was like, yeah, those guys exist, right? We don't automatically gravitate to them, especially those of us who've sort of come up in a in the the stat head era where you just you look at the walk rate, right? And the walk rate's low, and you're like, yeah, I don't know. But you know, those those bad ball hitters, that's not a myth. There are guys who can do that, who have the hand eye and who have the strength. They have to pick the bad balls they're swinging at, right? There is such a thing as a bad ball hitter, and there's just like a bad ball swinger. 
and we want one and we don't want the other. Yeah. Like hitting fastballs that are inside, you know, if you can get your hands to it, that's not as much of a problem as chasing sliders right. down and away. You're not going to do anything with that slider down and away. Right. The best example from this sort of recent era, Pablo Sandoval to me is like the ultimate bad yeah. ball hitter for a long time. He got away with it, kept the K rate down in a pretty difficult park for power, got to a couple 20 home run seasons, had injuries, probably take away one or two other 20 home run seasons from him. But it can work. And I don't think anybody was looking at Pablo Sandoval and saying, this guy's a phenomenal defender. Let's uh, let's keep trotting him out there for his glove either. So right. <laughs> this profile can work and it can work for a long time. Yep, absolutely. I mean, why Guerrero had that reputation mm-hmm. forever. And I think it was true. And you, you just, you have to be, there's a bunch of things you have to do to, to pull it off. But I would always try to think of it too from the pitcher's perspective, right? Does the pitcher just know and throw this guy slider down and away and he's going to swing all day long. And then the pitcher just has to make sure he he hits the pitch, right? He doesn't hang it. That's different than a guy who can take a ball that's two inches below the strike zone or two inches off the plate and do something with it and hit it hard enough to reach base safely. That's a, that. Those are two different things. The first guy where he's got some obvious hole and probably has more than one, probably doesn't get out of double A. Certainly struggles if he gets to the majors. Second one can have a long career. And I, again, as someone who doesn't maybe naturally gravitate to those players, at least from my, you know, my the analytical half of my mind, the scouting half of my mind, frankly, the, the baseball fan inside me, I don't know where he is. That's only, that's two halves. Likes those guys because they're different. I don't want to line up full of guys who are just take, 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 take. You know, games are faster now thanks to the pitch clock, but still, I'm here to watch guys swing the bat and guys make plays in the field. I think it's harder to game plan for a group of hitters that have different approaches. I think it's harder to execute yes. your game plan for a group of hitters that have different approaches too. So uh, hopefully teams will continue to find players like this and develop players like this because they are uh, more fun to watch. Corey Jelks also among the Astros, kind of a sneaky surprise this year, up to 279, 325, 406. We've seen more power from him in the upper levels of the minors, but he was old for AA and AAA when he did it. So understandably, some questions about how sustainable that is. The barrel rate's not very good. The hard hit rate's just kind of okay. But he's one of those guys, because of that Michael Brantley injury in particular, he has played a lot more than expected, and he hasn't fallen on his face. I mean, he's probably a two, two-and-a-half win player on his current pace if the Astros have to keep putting him out there. So uh, what's the deal with, with Jelks? Is, is it just kind of a, a good like fourth outfielder who's overperforming in an expanded role right now? Yeah, I think that's kind of what you got. Like he's definitely overperforming his batted ball data, um, as you pointed out too, with some of the power info. and But like useful fourth outfielder, I think that's probably about right. Great outcome, obviously, for an eighth round pick who uh, – you know, out of the University of Houston, all those guys from, you know, anybody who was drafted not far below, not too long before the pandemic, too. They lost, especially the college guys, they lost a critical year of development. Suddenly they're just old. And so it's great for him. He's, I wish he were a better defender where you, know, you f- f- felt like you could put him out there in center occasionally. He's really just a corner guy. He's also a swing adjustment guy, too, which is always worth noting. You know, he did this i don't know who he did it with but he did during the pandemic during the last year made a swing adjustment and did start to put the ball in the seats a bit more in 21 and so i think that was he probably went from not enough power to be a big leaguer to no there's enough to make you a competent fourth outfielder and and decent bat off the bench early career lane thomas sorts of uh, production from Hmm. 
Corey Jelks. And I, I didn't expect Lane Thomas to get to this level of power. So how about that? Anything's yeah. possible. You give somebody more playing time, you know, maybe. If you work hard enough, <laughs> if you believe. <laughs> and if you're not 5'8". Yeah, if you're not, if you are 5'8", right? <laughs> I, you can be 5'8". You shouldn't be 5'6". No. That's me. Yeah, 5'6 yeah. makes it tough to be a big leaguer. They got one, and that's it. Yep. One and only one forever. Josh Young, yeah. also having a fantastic rookie season. It's just getting away from all the Great. injuries, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Just a guy who's finally healthy after major setbacks. Remember how bad he was in his debut last year too four walks 39 punch and 102 pa i knew a couple of people who were like who were i'm grimacing you know who were just, whoa that's really bad okay this year totally you know still still not walking enough still punching a little too often but you know both of those are both those rates are improved and it's allowing the bat to play especially the power it's great Great. Another guy who you know, lost way too much time for reasons, not none of which was his own fault. Great to see guys like that finally getting the opportunity because he was a guy even in college where it's like, yeah, he could just hit. Right. It's not the super sexy. He's not some great athlete. He's not a great fielder or anything. But it looks like he can hit and maybe get to some power. I think it's more than some power at this point. Like he might end up a 30 homer hitter and a guy who can hit for average with some doubles. Like really, really good profile you know just without the athleticism that we're typically looking for but back to the point we were just making it's nice to have guys who are different it's nice to have some diversity and styles and types and looks in a lineup yeah and josh young i think kind of went through the cj abrams injury plague development plus lost pandemic <laughs> season where you add up their minor league games played their experience it's actually pretty comparable difference of course yeah josh young went to college cj abrams drafted out of high school so Time still on the side of C.J. Abrams. If you can't tell, I'm still optimistic about C.J. Abrams. I hope that was the one thing that you took away from this episode. <laughs> Hopefully you took away a few other things as well. On our way out the door, a reminder, you can find us on Twitter. Keith is at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. Other socials still? Are you just getting at Keith Law anywhere you can, Keith? Yes. Yes, I am. All the new social networks that pop up every three days now. Spoutable and... Threads, I'm MR Keith Law, Mr. Keith Law, and Blue Sky, I'm Keith Law. Yeah, I'm on Blue Sky. I'm not on Threads yet. I don't I don't know. I'm done joining social networks until after I complete my move. I'm going to wait and see what other ones emerge in these next 10 days or so. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. Enjoy the draft. We're back with you on Monday. <laughs>